Hello and welcome back. It's the Philosopher's Stone Podcast. But you already knew that, didn't you? Didn't you? It's me, Jordan Strauss, joined as always by Mr. Sam Laboon. How you doing? I'm good. I'm fired up. I got a I got a Corona here with a lime in it. I mean, oh shit! Is there anything more beautiful in the world than a frosty Corona with a lime in it? I don't think so. There are, but we can't get into that. There's not enough time. <laughs> but it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I uh, I've decided to take this day off of drinking. Mm. This single day. Um, no, I'm all right. Uh, I'm just not as fired up as you are. What uh, what put you in such a jovial mood besides this Corona bottle in front of you? Well, I cooked up a nice meal. I cooked up some uh, some chicken breasts. I uh, what's it called? When you cut them like in half lengthwise, blade butterfly 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 these chicken breasts butterfly these chicken breasts rubbed them up in this like dry jerk rub. Oh, you jerked it dry, huh? <laughs> yeah, it sounds it sounds painful, but <laughs> <laughs> rubbed them up with this nice dry jerk rub and uh, tossed them in a tossed them in the cast iron with some hot olive oil. Let them get a little brown. Every breast's dream. Every breast's dream, and then I. Uh, Dose them with the freshly squeezed juice of a lemon and the last bit of the beer in my Corona. And, oh my God, just fantastic. Chopped up a jalapeno, put it on top. Wow. Holy fuck, eh? So good. What'd you do for a side on that? Uh, just rice and broccoli. Took a lazy, very lazy meal. Very lazy meal. Oh yeah. We had some good chicken breasts last night for dinner, actually. Um, pre-marinated. Though we bought them at the store, they're on sale, but they're pre-marinated. They've been marinated for a while. You can tell they're so good. <laughs> There's this one that we get. It's got. It's like. Uh, it's got like some sort of maple syrupy. It's like a Montreal barbecue flavor, and it is. It's so goddamn good. So good. I want to learn how to make that marinade myself. Mm. Tonight, after the podcast, immediately I'm gonna be uh, crafting up some zaz for me and the misses. Ooh. Are you making the, what's your dough situation? So we got a dough recipe, but we have like the instant um, yeast thing. So we don't have to like set it aside at all. You can just bake it right away. And it's usually pretty damn good. You got to make it thin, obviously. But yeah. as long as you got the right cheese, it's pretty hard to fuck up, I found. What's your, uh, what's your take on sauce? Because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a zealot about a particular kind of pizza sauce. Uh, what's your, how do you do pizza sauce? I'm not. I'm not super picky. I usually do one white sauce, one red sauce. Oh damn! But like, I can buy pizza sauce out of a jar from a store as long as it's like you know, like we would go to the Mediterranean market down by our place, and they mm-hmm. have a variety of pizza sauces in a can that are decent. Mm-hmm. I know that goes against your philosophy, but um, <laughs> and then uh, Alfredo sauce. You got to make a couple of Alfredo sauce ones. There's a, a new pizza place in town, Sam. I don't know if you've been back here during this. There's like a boom of new breweries opening up in our town. Like it's insane. <laughs> like you literally can't throw a rock in this town without hitting some sort of craft liquor. It's fucking wild. That's good. Anyways, there's five, five new ones all right beside each other down Clement. And where there was literally nothing before. It was like an industrial wasteland. And now it's just like a mecca of breweries. But, uh, there's a brewery now here called Bad Tattoo, which there was one in uh, in Penticton that's been successful for years. But this one, it's a pizza place, and they have a Donair pizza Ooh. that is fan-fucking-tastic. Fan-casket. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Fan-caskets. Um, <laughs> it's amazing. Very pricey, but it's like the, the thin crust, and it's got the sweetness to it. Mm. But uh, tonight, I think I'm just get, so I went to the Mediterranean Market Deli, and they they take all their ends of their when they get to the end of their deli meat cuts, uh, they take all the end pieces and they just take a ton of them and they put them in a bag and sell for dirt cheap. So I just chop those up like fine and, and sprinkle them on like a meat lovers, and you get a little uh, spicy, you get a little brilliant. sweetness, it's a little mixed bag, and it's uh, it's a good time. Wow, that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. That's fucking good. Yeah, I'll, I'll say like I'll say my my pizza sauce philosophy is keep it simple. Literally, just pureed tomatoes, crushed tomatoes, oregano, little olive oil. Spread that on raw. That's it. That's it. 
Yeah, I think you've talked about this on the podcast before. Yeah, and then <laughs> a little basil on top of fresh basil, fresh basil. on pizza yeah. kicks it up a notch too. Yeah, Chelsea has been growing some fresh basil, so we get mm. that in there. It's nice. Mm. Very sweet, very sweet. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, it definitely adds a little something-something at the end. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. We went to a sorbet place in here. Or sorbet? Sherbet? No, gelato place. Gelato. We, oh. we went to a gelato place. I love gelato. And they were doing a... Uh, strawberry and basil gelato. Huh. Two flavors I never thought would be anywhere near to working together. And it was actually pretty, pretty, really, it was good. It was like, it blew my mind. I hadn't had something that like surprised <laughs> me that much in a while. Huh. Yeah. Sometimes like you, like, that's when you know it's good. Like if you're at a restaurant, like a fancy restaurant, and there's some flavor combination that just sounds absolutely absurd, chances are it's really good. What was one I had recently that was really good? It was barbecued grapes with cheese. What? And you'd think like, what the hell? Barbecued grapes, but delicious with some cheese. Oh my god! So wait, they put a like a thing, a bushel of grapes, <laughs> a bushel, a bushel of grapes on the barbecue, or what was it? What was this? You put them on skewers. You put them on skewers. Oh, it's like a grape shish kebab. Grape shish kebab. Brush it with a little olive oil. Put that on the barbecue. Really fantastic. Fantastic. It's like a little hors d'oeuvre with some like sliced mozzarella. It's nice. That actually sounds good. I've, I've been talking to this guy at work. He thinks I'm crazy that to combine fruits and cheeses. And I'm like that. Dude. You are literally the last person to be aware of this, that it's a normal thing. He thought I was like crazy for even suggesting it. I was like, uh, you literally can buy fruit and cheese platters <laughs> prepackaged at any grocery store. Like, have you, have you not heard of this they shit? They literally sell it together. It's a classic. It's like, they've been doing this shit since the Roman times, baby. Get on board. Lunatics. Yeah. Well, you know, everybody's, people get stuck in their ways. They only want one color on their plate. Yeah. What's the deal over there with the COVID? We're getting absolutely destroyed by this Delta variant. I'm, I'm quite... At this point, I'm expecting another like lockdown, so like comedy is going to be gone right before like all the good season of comedy starts. I'm pretty paranoid about that. Oh my god! If they lock down the for the Kamloops Comedy Festival, that would that would be uh, horrific. Yeah, I know that's like the big one. I really want to do that. I'm supposed to be doing a whole weekend of shows with John Dor, the legendary John Dor, but. The way things are going, I'm like trying to get mitigate my hopes. <laughs> I'm going up doing uh, the Lido Theater two nights up in Fort St. John, and I'm I'm almost like expecting that to maybe get shut down. But oh my god! Hopefully, that's only two weeks away. So hopefully, we can squeeze that last little bit in. And they don't really have a whole lot of cases all the way up there. It's not a very big town. Not yet. Wait till the boys from Kelowna roll in. <laughs> Yeah, maybe they're going to hear about all the cases we have and no one will show up to the show. So we'll see. We'll see. Positive vibes. <laughs> yeah, I figure you should take as much comedy as you can and then, you know, whatever happens, happens. But it seems to be like, I mean, it said today on the news, 15% of the hospitalizations in our region were fully vaccinated. <laughs> what? Which is too high of a percent. 15% of hospitalizations? Yeah. Oh, my God. We're fully vaccinated. What the fuck? Which, I mean, in the grand scheme, still gives you a way better, like, it's definitely still a good idea to get vaccinated, but it doesn't give me hope that it's, like, the the, the final solution. <laughs> like, I feel like we're going to need something a little bit more. I don't know what's going on. Do these things just burn out after a while? Like, how do these, how does, how does any pandemic really work? Yeah, they do. they do burn out after a while. They mutate and mutate until they become adapted to the host. And by adapting to the host, it means they can go into the host, replicate a whole bunch, spread, and they don't kill the host. Right. Depending on how virulent it is when it first crosses over, it takes longer or less long to, to do all the mutating stuff. So like hypothetically, the more COVID mutates, the less pathological it becomes, hypothetically. Oh, I'm all about hypothetics. Anyways, <laughs> keep your head. I mean, at this point, I'm like, I know I can survive. Like, I can stay, maintain happiness without, you know, the luxuries of being able to go out to bars and go to big events and do, I can do life without showbiz, essentially, <laughs> and still be happy. But uh, it's just so annoying. Yeah. 
Lock, lockdown winter in Kelowna does not sound fun to me. <laughs> I mean, it's all right. I still, you know, I got my drum set. That's that's <laughs> really like if I have, if I need like that that creative output that I can get it from that. It's just you know, comedy is just a whole different thing. Like it's a whole different high. Oh yeah, I'm I'm starting to get like addicted to it again now that I'm now that I'm going out. Yeah. Oh, you know, I'm keeping my hopes up. Vaccination rates are up. Um, it's crazy. They, when they announced the, the um, vaccine passports, I thought that wasn't going to move the needle at all oh. on people getting vaccinated because I was like, well, people who aren't getting it are probably so like entrenched in the idea that they're not getting it, that they're not going to, this isn't going to do anything. But apparently vaccine registrations went up 174% in my region after they announced that. I'm not surprised. And I, I suspect that is because the 25-year-olds and younger are now like, well, I, was, I want to go clubbing, <laughs> so I'm going to get it. But before, they couldn't be bothered because they thought they would be all right. Most people who say they're not doing something on principle are just lazy. <laughs> <laughs> That's your theory, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, like I said, I'm like, I'm dreading a lockdown, but I'm also like, no, I know how to get through it mentally now. Everybody's a little bit of a seasoned vet at this point, so maybe it won't be as like big of a deal. Mm. Either that or people are at literally their limit and it'll be devastating. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I don't know. I know there's an election coming up and uh, a friend of mine is actually like working in a like election office in like some small town in Ontario. I forget where. Yeah. And so Trudeau was going to be there to like speak at this event with Doug Ford. Yeah, the two most hated men in Ontario were going to be in one place to speak, <laughs> and uh, they couldn't talk because these protesters like attacked the building. Yeah, I know. I saw. I saw that there was a. I saw on some news site that like Trudeau did a rally, and there was like a horde of people. <laughs> yeah, that would just scream at him and not let him. I saw a video of him walking down the street, and his security's like surrounding him, and like there's a whole crowd of people yelling at him and like telling him he's a piece of shit. You're a piece of shit. It's very much starting to look like there's some sort of like i don't want to say like QAnon level crazy people in our country i mean there obviously are oh there are <laughs> but it seems like they're that that's going in that direction for a lot of people yeah it's uh the will of the people will be heard yep and i know justin trudeau's uh approval or the support for the liberal party has fell off dramatically mm. according to what i've been reading yeah, I think they'll get a minority government. I think that's what'll happen. Yeah. Isn't that what they got last time? I thought they had a majority. I think they have a majority. Whatever. I don't fucking know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't really follow it. I'm gonna vote one way or the other. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I probably won't decide till I'm in the booth and I'm just gonna be like, uh we're all dying we're all in fifty dying. years anyways. <laughs> yeah. so. Okay. <laughs> um. Anyways, I I don't want to I don't want to uh, promote that type of behavior. Try and get informed, people. Try and get informed. Go vote. Use your vote. The most powerful way to make a change in this goddamn fucking cursed world we live in. Mm -hmm. The will of the people is supreme and absolute. Is this a segue? Am I missing really this? Is this a segue? <laughs> oh fuck! Sorry. <laughs> All right. So this is will of the people day, huh? Uh, yeah. Part, partly. Let's hear it. Tell me something. Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about the, uh, the infamous, in some quarters, philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Jean-Jacques Rousseau? I know Jacques Rousteau. <laughs> Jacques Rousteau, the man of the seas. I don't know, Aquaman? I don't know. Uh, I, I just know the name. I don't know anything about him. <laughs> was he a sailor? I thought he was an ex-prime minister. No, Jacques Rousteau, he invented scuba. He invented scuba diving? He literally invented scuba diving. Yeah. Damn, what a brave motherfucker, hey? Oh, fuck it. Hell yeah. Yeah. Those guys are dope. Yeah. I wouldn't do that shit with like the top level equipment today. So, no, oh, so they started out free diving, which is even crazier than scuba diving, in my opinion. But anyway, um, yeah. So, Jean Jacques Rousseau, he is known as the father of the romantic movement in Europe. Uh, I mean, he was born 1712, he died in 1778. And so the source for this is uh, Bertrand Russell's History of Western Philosophy. And of all the philosophers in this book, Bertrand Russell seems to hate Rousseau the most. Hmm. So this is a quote from uh, the last paragraph. Russell says, The dictatorships of Russia and Germany are in part an outcome of Rousseau's teaching. Holy shit. Yeah. 
What further triumphs the future has to offer his ghost, I do not venture to predict. Oh my God. Yeah, he doesn't like this guy. So he blames he blames the tyrants of Germany and Russia coming to power on this fucking guy. Yeah, there's a lot to hate about this guy, as, we, as we'll find. <laughs> well, I can't wait to hear it because I love to hate people. Okay. So <laughs> one of my favorite things to do is the only reason I still have social media is so I can hate the people on there. It is uh, probably super unhealthy, but, you know, say mm-hmm. la vie. C'est la vie. Yeah, so as we're going to see, I think there's a lot of interesting parallels between the Romantic movement and today. So let's get right into it. So the intellectual climate of the time of Rousseau was this thing called the Romantic movement. And according to Russell, this movement was aimed at liberating people from the chains of social convention and social morality. Okay. Yeah, so these Romantic people, they, they had morals, they had values. Their values were just very different from what we would think of as like ethical values. Right. They didn't really think it mattered what you did, so long as you did it from a source of like tremendous and genuine passion. Oh. So like, it doesn't matter if you like murder somebody or like cheat on your wife or do horrific things, as long as you're doing it from some like anti-hero rebel against the system place. Wow, that does sound romantic. Yeah. (laughs) Cheating on your spouse. Yeah. So you can just be like, I can do, like, they literally are like, as long as you're like, as long as you're genuinely a piece of shit, it's fine to be a piece of shit. Like, I don't get it. Like, how is that justified? That's, that's a great way to put it. Um, the most, uh, yeah, that is a great way to put it. Like, they really didn't really care. Like, if your presence on the earth made everybody better off or not, it was more like, how much can you, like, destroy? Like, <laughs> Be yourself at all costs. Exactly. Yeah. So the most famous, maybe the most famous poet of the Romantic era was this guy named Byron. And he wrote a poem called The Corsair. And there's a great line from it. And it says, O'er the glad waters of the deep blue sea, our thoughts as boundless and our hearts as free. That sounds romantic. That's pretty romantic, eh? (laughs) Yeah. Anything that rhymes just hits you right in the heartstrings, really. Roses are red, violets are blue. I'm going to fuck everything up. I don't give a shit about you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a good card you got there. You working for Hallmark lately? (laughs) So the romantics, they wrote, uh, they, uh, Russell says like they would value aesthetics over utilitarianism. So Russell's example is Darwin would praise the earthworm and the beetle because these were so important for the ecosystem. Worms and beetles, very important. Mm Mm-hmm. They're very useful, but they're very ugly and small. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, so. Well, I mean, some beetles are pretty pretty uh, striking to look at, depending on the, on the type. That's fair. There's a lot of beetles. I've yet to see an earthworm that makes me go, wow. Wow. You should be on the cover of Planet Earth magazine or whatever. Planet Worm. Planet Worm. Play Worm. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> this is our longest issue yet. It's 32 inches long. <laughs> <laughs> Great thing about Playworm is if you rip up the magazine, you, you, you get two more full-grown magazines <laughs> in a couple of days. <laughs> it's the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. So the, so the, but the romantics, they would never write a poem about like an earthworm because even though earthworms are very useful, they're not beautiful. So they would write about like tigers or storms, ghosts, and pirates Things that are like not useful at all, but they're like grand and they're remote and powerful and destructive. So that's what they liked. You know what? You just described like the Gen Z <laughs> population. <laughs> this is the influence of the romantic movement. They're all good looking. They're all useless as fuck, but they think they're just like the most amazing thing ever. If you ever spent any time on like the reels portion of Instagram or like oh God. TikTok, is probably the more extreme example. It is all. Look at how good looking I am set to whatever the popular dubstep song is at the time. <laughs> yeah. I met one of these people at an open mic. He was like, he was this 15 year old. Really? Who was like talking, he was just talking so much shit before the show. Like, I've been doing Zoom comedy. Yeah. Like, people know me. Like, I built a name for myself online. Like, all this shit goes on stage, just absolutely bombs. Like, fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The fact that he was bragging about doing Zoom shows tells me he's so out to lunch on what stand-up comedy is really like. Yeah, yeah, it was rough. 
Oh, did you get a big Zoom comedy <laughs> following? Wow. <laughs> Have you seen what gets like millions of views on TikTok and shit? It is like the the least like the quality is 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 just it's the least funny shit on the planet will get like a million views. Mm-hmm. It's it's nuts to me. I can't believe how some people can amass a following on TikTok. Actually, I know how. It's because it's the least amount of effort possible for someone to click like on a goddamn video or a picture on social media. It is like the least committed form of supporting someone's art. Mm. I've, I've never used it. I have no idea how it works. Well, I mean, I'm just saying that like you, don't, you shouldn't get a big head because someone had the, they liked your stuff so much they reached their thumb <laughs> all the way across their phone screen and tapped that heart. That's a good point. <laughs> that is a very good point. That's not a real following. A following will come buy tickets and sit their ass down in front of you at a show and get a babysitter and all that mm. jazz. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. You got to like and subscribe. Notifications on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will say him actually attempting to do stand-up at 15 is, takes a lot where I, didn't ha- I wouldn't have had the balls for that at the time. But maybe I had a little humility and realized that I probably <laughs> was going to suck. Yeah. Because my ego wasn't the size of a fucking small moon (laughs) yeah we'll see maybe if he comes back then you know maybe we'll see we'll see where things go but anyway so back to the romantics so in france at the time there was this there's this uh this idea going around that people should have something called la sensibilité that's what they called it the sensibilité and so uh la sensibilité was Suppose you are like walking along and you see this poor, impoverished family on the side of the road and they're just like in rags and they look miserable. They're all thin and everything. Uh-huh. If you had a proper sensibilité, you would be immediately moved to like violent sympathy with this family and you, your heart would go out to them. But at the same time, you would not care about and might even oppose any sort of social system designed to lift them out of poverty. Okay. That's the proper amount of sensibility. That's what you're supposed to be like. You're supposed to be like all about how you feel and don't think too much. (laughs) (laughs) See, when you first said violently sympathetic, I thought you were going to say like, put them out of their misery and kill them. (laughs) (laughs) Violently sympathetic. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I thought you were going to say after that. Yeah, like you're moved to tears. Like you should be moved to tears on the spot. Yeah. So you should feel real bad, but you shouldn't think about trying to actually do anything that will help. Mm, maybe not so much that you shouldn't think about it, but you won't think about it because you are a person of sensibilité, not like thought and like intellect. So it's not, it wouldn't even occur to you to like go out and try and devise some system to help these people. Like you just feel, you feel. God, I'm really starting to, like the more you describe this, the more it, I'm like realizing how many, like the similarity of mindset that I'm seeing nowadays. It's really amazing, right? Like the similarities. This is why Russell hates Rousseau so much because Rousseau is extremely influential. Like even people who've never heard of him, they're very influenced by. Yeah, because it it sounds like a very easy philosophy to follow. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's why it's so popular. It doesn't require any self control. <laughs> exactly. Um, so let's let's get into this guy's life. So he was born in Geneva, Switzerland. He was raised as a Calvinist. So the Calvinists were this Christian denomination that believed that everything in life, in the universe, is predetermined. So God already knows who's going to heaven, who's going to hell. He already knows. We're all predetermined to do what we do. This, that's perfect for what he's doing then. Like, yeah. Why even think about what you're doing? Just do what you're feeling because you, you already have your passport stamped to heaven and hell in God's mind. Exactly. You're, you're fated to what you do. You have no control over it. Man, it's it is tempting to just fully buy into that bullshit. <laughs> yeah. So uh, his father was a a watchmaker and a dance master. Interesting. Sounds like he was in the closet at some <laughs> point. His uh, his mother died when he was just a baby, and throughout his life, he would sort of seek out the company of wealthy older women. Nice. That's another popular thing these days. <laughs> what does a dance master insinuate? Like, what does that mean back for back then? What kind of dance probably nothing, was there to master? Probably nothing too interesting. Because, I mean, they're living in a Puritan city where they're not even allowed to, like, put on plays. Right. 
So like, I can't imagine. Right. <laughs> He's probably got his hands down to his sides. It's mostly in the heels. <laughs> it's like a lesser version of tap dancing. Bend the knees a little bit every now and then. <laughs> this guy's not pop and locking out there. No one's spinning on their heads. But also a watchmaker, so he's he'd be the beat. He can keep a beat. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I just feel like the 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 rhythm required for a watch to work is not uh, going to be transfer <laughs> ah, who knows me i don't fucking know so uh so so russo he was uh he was what we would call today a fuckboy. like this is what this guy was right for example for example this is a classic story of la sensibilité in action so russo was working for this rich older woman and she died and then a few weeks later he was discovered to have one of her ribbons in his possession and he immediately said that it was given to him by her maid who was a woman who was like this girl that he liked at the time, like was like romantically involved with her. Right. And they believed him, even though he had, a, he had stolen it, but they believed him and she was punished for it. And he said that what he did was actually, was an example of the sensibility and was an example of how much he loved her because when they, he was confronted with having stolen the ribbon, he said what he did was he, his, he immediately placed the blame on what was closest to his mind. And what was closest to his mind was this maid because he loved her. So that's how it was like, actually, it was like kind of okay, in a sense, in his mind. It was, a, it was an example of his love. Wait, wait. So he, he blamed the maid for stealing the ribbon. Yeah. When he stole it. He stole it. Yeah. He blamed her. And his, and his, his justification for blaming the maid. Was that he loved her. That he loved the maid. He loved her so much that when they blamed him about it, he was thinking about her. And so he immediately said that she did it. Oh, oh, God. <laughs> All right? Like, this guy is such a piece of shit. What a piece of shit. He is a modern fuckboy. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so he uh, eventually, he, he got his first big break. He won an essay contest. And the contest was a prompt. And the prompt was, have the arts and sciences conferred benefits upon mankind? And Russo answered, no. And he won the contest. Wait, he's saying that the arts and the sciences has not benefited mankind. That's what he said. Correct. His idea, which was like a common idea and has been a common idea for a long time, is that anything that takes us away from the state of nature where we are like hunter-gatherers living in nature with no writing or anything like that, we're just sort of living as a part of nature. Yeah. Anything that takes us away from that is evil because human beings, we are naturally good. And institutions make us evil. Something tells me this guy couldn't have survived more than like a night on his own in the wild. And he's saying this shit. Well, he probably didn't have survival skills, but he was really good at like using other people. He was really good at just being a parasite on other people. (laughs) He was very good at that. Well, I'm starting to realize why What's-His-Face hated this guy. Mm. To be fair, everything I'm learning about him is from someone who hated him. So it might be a little biased, but at least it's funny. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It would be a little biased, but biases aren't always wrong. And I hate to say that, but I trust Bertrand Russell. Yeah. So Russo believed that there was this thing called natural law, which is a code of conduct or morality that that is best suited for human beings. But if you are no longer in like a hunter gatherer state, then you can't figure out what the natural law is because we are chained up with all these laws of society. Yeah. And we've, we're living according to laws that are not suited to our good natural selves. Mm-hmm. So here's, here's a quote from Rousseau. He says, man is naturally good and savage man, when he has dined, is at peace with all nature and the friend of all his fellow creatures. <laughs> <laughs> Once he's eaten and he's not hungry anymore, he won't try and kill anything. <laughs> Thus, he is good. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so Rousseau, he wrote this up in an essay, and he sent it to this other major French intellectual named Voltaire. I've heard that name before, too. Yeah, he's a big, he had a great reply. He said, I have received your new book against the human race, and thank you for it. Never was such a cleverness used in the design of making us all stupid. One longs in reading your book to walk on all fours. But as I have lost that habit for more than 60 years, I feel unhappily the possibility of resuming it. 
Was that like tongue in cheek or was he serious? He, did he seriously think it was like intellectually like a viable philosophy or whatever? The book was actually impressive to him. No, he's saying like, he's saying like your book is really clever and the purpose of it is to make everyone who reads it an idiot who walks on all fours. <laughs> I like the line where he's like, I haven't walked on all fours in 60 years. That's good shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so they beefed a lot. Yeah. Uh, so Rousseau, he was against society. Uh, there was, during this time, there was this earthquake in Lisbon. It's a famous, infamous earthquake because so many brilliant thinkers were alive at the time that they all wrote about this earthquake. Right. Because Lisbon was this city with like seven-story stone buildings. And uh, thousands of people died in this earthquake. Damn. And Rousseau said it was their fault. It was, Rousseau was like, it's their fault because they were living in seven-story stone buildings. If they were naked and dispersed in the forest, they would have been fine. So once again, civilization. Oh my God, shut the fuck up. <laughs> their fault for living. Did this guy, I feel like anytime I saw him, if, he, if I knew him back then, and at any time I saw him taking advantage of modern like luxuries, I would like slap his stupid face and be like, this is, <laughs> you said this is bad. Why are you wearing shoes, man? Oh my God. He, he lived in a hotel. What? I think he lived in a hotel for his life. And he like did not go out and live in the woods at all. Of course. I think the most he did was sell his watch or something because he said he didn't need to tell time anymore. He sold his watch. This guy's such a douche. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, uh, so he got kicked out of Europe um, because of some Good. of his views. He got kicked out of Europe, put it out of Europe, and went to England. And guess who his best friend in England was? Uh, the only person who, who would tolerate him. Who would tolerate this idiot? Uh, I don't know. Is it a guy I would know? Is he famous? famous? Is he another philosopher? We've talked about him on the podcast a lot. Yeah. Um, it's not Thomas Aquinas, is it? That was about a thousand years prior. Uh, look, I don't, I'm not <laughs> keeping track of what the timelines are of any of these people. What, when was this? The 1800s, 1700s? Uh, 1700s. 1700s. I'm just going through my Rolodex of people I know lived in the... Our 70s. old friend. Our old friend. Oh, uh, is it Hume? David Hume. The one and only. Fucking, of course it is. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, because Hume was a nice guy at, at, at the... At the end of the day, all these British philosophers like David Hume, John Locke, Adams, all these guys, these are just like nice, nice guys who just want to drink tea and like talk about how they think the brain works. Like they're just nice guys. Okay. So they're very polite, very civil. They're nice guys and then they call you a bitch when you deny them or what? That type of nice guy? <laughs> no, 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 genuinely, genuinely nice, nice guys. Not like Okay. That. Genuinely nice guys. All right. No, no, no. They're not neckbeards. No. Not neckbeard nice. Okay. Not incel nice. <laughs> Hume, Hume was a devil. Hume was, a, Hume was very popular in the, in the, uh, the what was it called? The barbershops of Paris or something? Anyway. <laughs> hmm. But uh, so Rousseau, he was, going, he was going crazy at this time, and he would often accuse Hume of being like some agent who's orchestrating plots against him. And then he would apologize, and Hume would be like, don't worry about it, my friend. It's okay. And, uh, <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> right. But eventually, Rousseau just went totally insane. He was extremely paranoid. He thought everyone was trying to kill him. He fled to Paris, and he died in abject poverty, probably by suicide. And that was his life. Holy shit. Okay. <laughs> that sounds rough. How old was he? Um, not bad. 17, 17, 1712 to 1778. So Decent. Decent. 50, 60, something like that. That's all right. So he didn't spend, like, a lot of people didn't like this guy for his whole life. Is that what I'm hearing? Got booted out of Europe and then left England because he thought everyone was going to kill him, went back to Europe and died in poverty. Yeah. So, like, he was, um, I'll read the, uh, the quote that Hume, Hume, like, wrote, like, an obituary. I don't know if it's, like, an obituary for this guy, but, like, he wrote, like, a, he tried to, like, explain why he was so weird. So Hume said, he has only felt during the whole course of his life. And in this respect, his sensibility rises to a pitch beyond what I have seen any example of. But it still gives him a more acute feeling of pain than of pleasure. 
He is like a man who is stripped not only of his clothes, but of his skin, and turned out in this situation to combat with the rude and boisterous elements. You know what? I feel like I've met people like that, that they're all feeling a no thought almost. Like they don't think before they speak. They don't like rationalize yeah. why other people are saying things. They don't, they don't stop and then like try and like reason with themselves about whether a situation is really as good or bad as they're as feel like they might think. Like these are the type of people that have no control over like getting their hopes up about something and that probably won't happen <laughs> and like yeah. stuff like that. Like they're people that are just like, they they don't learn how to like have any restraint over their emotions and they just are full blown like it's like that they never like every every person as they get older will learn that your initial emotional reaction to something is not usually the one you want to express immediately right <laughs> yeah and yet that was like the opposite of that was like what Rousseau and like a lot of people believed in that time they really did believe that what you should do is that initial genuine sudden emotion. Like that's what you should act on. That's the truth. That's what you want to see what that's like. Go to a daycare. That's what it's like. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Like I, I feel like it's anyway, well, let's get into, um, let's get into his two philosophies or his two contributions to philosophy. Okay. So the first is theology. So he actually made pretty, extremely, I would say an extremely influential contribution to the theology. And the people who live by this revelation probably have no idea that it came from Rousseau. So when you say theology, just what do you mean by that exactly in this context? Uh, like the study of religion. Okay, that's kind of what I thought, but I didn't want to say it because I, I was probably, I didn't know it was going to be right and I was going to sound pretty dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to sound pretty dumb if I said that. <laughs> Right. So Rousseau, he wrote a, a novel called, I think it was called Confession of a Vicar. Yeah. Which today would have a different connotation. Yeah. So th this, this confession, <laughs> though, didn't have anything to do with that. This, was, uh, this is the quote from this novel. Basically, what you, do, what you do is you write a novel with a character in it, and this character delivers your philosophical views for you as like a mouthpiece. Yeah, that seemed to be like one of their one of the that was the shit back then for a lot of these guys. Yeah, they love that. They love that. Yeah. <laughs> so the the vicar says, "I do not deduce the principles of religion from high philosophy, but I find them in the depths of my heart, written by nature in ineffaceable characters." Say again. Come again. You what now, nature? So basically, you what now? <laughs> what did nature write on you? Where did nature write it? <laughs> <laughs> So Rousseau's theology rejects the revelations of scriptures. He also doesn't believe that hell was real, and he thinks even non-Christians can get salvation. So basically the idea is that the true religion is the religion that is revealed to every human in their heart. That's the real religion of God, of the real God. It's not what you read in the Bible. It's not what you read in the Quran. It's not what you read in the Buddhist the Buddhist or the Hindu scripts, it's revealed to every human being in their heart when they look at a sunset, when they look at a beautiful field, mm -hmm. when they feel the wind in their hair. That's like, that's the true religion revealed by God. Yeah. You know what? That might be the most I've agreed with this guy so far. Because <laughs> um, I've thought like, I mean, it makes more sense that that would be closer to reality than uh, one specific religion is right. Mm-hmm. If there is a God, I think it is probably along the lines of a con it's 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 more along the lines of what he's saying in, in that it's it's not something you like you're gonna find like succinctly written in any book or you know raised in mm -hmm. in an organized religion. It's something more that it's kind of like oh like you know the feeling you get when you like are connected to the universe, yeah usually becomes a lot more powerful if you ingest psychedelic drugs. But you, you've, I think everybody has experienced that feeling with or without drugs at some point in their life. Yeah. That feels more like I'm in communication with a God than any like, you know, church experience I've ever had. Yeah. So, so this is what he, he wrote to like some, a wealthy lady. He wrote, Ah, madame, sometimes in the privacy of my study, with my hands pressed tight over my eyes, 
or in the darkness of the night. I am of the opinion that there is no God. But look, yonder, the rising of the sun, as it scatters the mists that cover the earth and lays bare the wondrous glittering scene of nature, disperses at the same moment all cloud from my soul. I find my faith again in my God and my belief in him. I admire and adore him, and I prostrate myself in his presence. You don't got to prostrate yourself, bud. Come on. <laughs> it's kind of gross. <laughs> Come on, get out. You're, you're embarrassing yourself. This is disgusting. <laughs> you can just yeah, keep your hands to yourself, you know, keep, uh, keep them on the table. Yeah. Uh, well, that was some flowerly language. Flowerly. Flowerly? I can't mm-hmm. talk. How can I talk shit about this guy when I can't say flowery? <laughs> purple, purple prose. Um, very French, very extra, as the kids would say. Very extra. <laughs> Beautifully written, but, uh, yeah, that was a lot. So this is why, like, this is why Russell, Russell really does not like this. He thinks this is like one of the worst insidious things that ever happened because, well, for two reasons. So first he says, Russell says, even if the heart said the same thing to everyone, that would afford no evidence of the existence of anything beyond our own emotions. Like he's saying, like Russell, like I'm mean, saying, like Russo, like yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. All you're doing is you're, you're talking about your emotions. Yeah, and they're not proof of anything other than the fact that you have emotions. Well, then what the fuck proof? Like proof? We're talking about religion here. What proof? Well, okay, so you remember Aquinas, right? You brought up Aquinas earlier. Oh yeah. So remember Aquinas. He, when, like, when those guys are like trying to argue for the existence of God, they come up with these valid arguments. They have these valid arguments, and if the premises are true, the conclusion is true. And there are all these arguments about like causation and, and stuff like that, and metaphysics and, and all this stuff. Right, I guess I see the difference here. And so Russell is like, those arguments, he's like, those are better, because this new theology that Rousseau made, it, quote, it dispenses with argument, it cannot be refuted, because it does not profess to prove his points. At bottom, the only reason offered for its acceptance is that it allows us to indulge in pleasant dreams. Well, it seems to be Rousseau's entire thing is indulge your, uh, <laughs> indulge, you know? Indulge, yeah, yeah. If it makes you feel good, do it. If you get angry, don't restrain your anger. Let it out immediately. If you feel happy, make sure everybody fucking knows. You know, don't do it. As long as you do it passionately, it's cool, man. Exactly. That's his whole thing. It doesn't require any sort of self-control or restraint. Like, he literally wants you to just behave as if you are a wild animal still. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Literally. Yeah. You know, maybe not go out and kill people, but, like, essentially just be a big baby is what he wants everyone. He wants everyone to act like they're still four years old. Yeah. It's it's really, like, uh, it's like everyone is God. Basically, like everyone is is God in in their mind, but then they don't realize that if everyone's God, then nobody's God. Like the Incredibles, everyone's special and no one is. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, it's like that other saying, once everybody has herpes, no one has herpes, right? (laughs) (laughs) Very true. Um, the everyone is God thing. I saw that that, uh, idea come up on social media relatively recently, and everybody thought it was the most profound shit ever. (laughs) okay so now we'll get into this is the political theory and this is the stuff that this is the other reason that russell really really hates this guy and thinks that he like inspired hitler so so russo is similar to hobbes so if you remember hobbes right hobbes had this idea that at first we're in this thing called the state of nature where everyone it's man against man doggy dog world everyone is against each other but then out of mutual self-interest we agree to form a society and surrender all of our rights to an absolute sovereign. And so in Hobbes, the sovereign is like the government, like the state is the sovereign. Yeah. And Rousseau is very similar to Hobbes in that he says that at first we're in the state of nature. And unlike Hobbes, Rousseau thought the state of nature is awesome, right? Everyone's at their utmost happiness. Right. <laughs> it's great. It's a great time to be alive. Yeah. Um, not borne out by modern anthropology at all. But Rousseau thought the state of nature is great. That's the thing about this Rousseau guy. Is he 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 sounds like a guy who enjoyed the the uh, the pleasures of modern society to a degree, and that's why I think he's full of shit about this state of nature being awesome. Yeah, he didn't really know anything. No, I think people were like they had just 
started settling in the new world. And so people were still obsessed with the native Americans and right. He was like obsessed with native Americans. Right, right, right. Not in a good way. Not in a good way. He like fetishized them. Yeah. People still do that. So yeah. So anyway, so this guy, so Russo is very similar to Hobbes in that eventually like people realize they have to get out of the state of nature for their own protection from predators, from disease, weather events, whatever. So people have to get out of this. And so they have to make a society. But this comes with a problem because everyone has their own self-interest. But when you become part of society, you kind of have to give up some of that. Yeah. So he came up with this idea called the social contract. And you've definitely heard of this. And this is his quote where he tries to explain the social contract. The problem is to find a form of association which will defend and protect with the whole common force the person and the goods of each associate, and in which each, while uniting himself with all, may still obey himself alone and remain as free as before. This is the fundamental problem of which the social contract provides the solution. So he's basically saying, listen, I have this thing, and you know, you have to give up your rights, but you're going to be just as free as you were before. Right. Sounds contra- contradictory. It sounds impossible. It sounds impossible. We'll see. It's a little hard to, hard to swallow. So for Rousseau, there's also a sovereign. But unlike Hobbes, Rousseau's sovereign is not the government. It's this metaphysical thing called the general will. Okay. So every citizen has their own interests, right? So every, everyone in society, they have their own selfish interests or wills. Yeah. And sometimes your will will be in conflict with somebody else's will. Yes. Now, if you tallied up everyone's interests or their wills, all the conflicting ones will cancel out. And what you're left with is the general will, everyone's common interests that they have in common. Yes. And so these leftover common interests, the ones that everyone shares, this is called the general will. And this is what Rousseau said is this absolute sovereign of the nation, of the country. Like you must obey this will. Okay. And it's, it's infallible. It's absolute. You have to surrender. So he was like the ultimate Democrat. He was like, you must obey this will of the people. And if you don't, you'll be forced to do so. It's like whatever the general consensus is, no matter how much you like disagree with it, you have to go that way because that's what the majority wants. Mm-hmm. And that's notably very different from most democracies that exist in the world today. Mm-hmm. Like it is not the case that someone in Canada has like no rights except what everyone would vote on on their phone in a direct vote. Right. Like you, you, like you have rights that are enshrined in the Constitution. And like Rousseau, he would want to do away with the Constitution. And he would want every decision to be like send out a vote to everybody's smartphone. And everyone votes on it. <laughs> I've heard Joe Rogan harping on how this would be a great idea. <laughs> That's exact. No, this would not be a great idea. <laughs> no, <laughs> not a great but... idea. <laughs> and uh, whoever refuses to obey the general will shall be forced to do so. And this is a direct quote from Rousseau. This means nothing less than that he will be forced to be free. Sounds like this motherfucker would have loved the vaccine passports. I'll tell you what. <laughs> I will tell you what. If the general vaccine passport is the general will, then you have to get it. You must get it or you're thrown in jail. I think that the vaccine passport does have a majority approval right now, but I don't think it's by much. And I'm speaking out of my ass here, but I feel like this guy would have liked stuff like that, you know? Yeah, he he would have he would have liked that. Yeah, like like if, if if society says you need to have this vaccine in order to participate in any sort of entertainment or food or whatever, you know, go any sort of luxuries of society, then that's what you need. And fuck you if you don't want it. Yeah, the hard the hard part about it is though is what is the general will? How do you figure out what the general will is? Because like, it sounds nice to be like, oh, you just tally up everyone's interests and the ones that conflict cancel out and you're just left with the general. Well, like, how do you do that? Yeah, you can't really do that. You can't actually do that. You can't do it. And the problem is, is a lot of people are surrounded by people that they think, like people end up 
kind of agree, like, especially in like smaller communities, you're surrounded by people of like mind, right? Mm-hmm. So if, if someone comes and tells you that your group of people doesn't align with the majority, the will, mm-hmm. people have a hard time accepting that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And maybe like voting isn't the best way to do it because people, uh, when people vote, they might not vote according to the general will. They might vote according to their selfish interest. Yep. Yeah. So, so this is where Russell thinks that this idea of this general will sort of paves the way for dictators like Hitler. So Rousseau's big influence on Hegel, who we talked about last week, and Hegel said something similar. He's like, freedom is the freedom to obey the law, stuff like that. Right. But the idea with the general will is that if you can be a leader, you can be a leader and you can claim that you sort of mystically embody the general will of your nation then you are an infallible force that represents the common good of your people. And that is basically what Hitler was, or who he, who, who he pretended to be. Yeah, they thought he was the heart of Germany. The heart of Germany. He was the will of Germany. Like, that's like what this guy was, the will of Germany, the Fuhrer. Right. Yeah. So from Rousseau, from this guy who believes that, you know, hunter-gatherers are, that's the best situation you could be in as a human being. From that, you get Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought Hitler would have made a great caveman. <laughs> Hunter and gatherer, that guy for sure. Well, very interesting stuff yet again, Sam. Thanks for putting that together. I feel like I learned. I got learned <laughs> on some levels here. Uh, if anyone else feels like they want to fucking chime in and uh, let us know what they're thinking, we're, you can send us an email at tpspodcast420 at gmail.com. And uh, I sure fucking hope you do. Um, anything else to add there, Samuel? Uh, no. No. Au revoir. Bonne nuit. We should ban the language. French language. We should ban that. That is the will of the world. That right there is the general fucking will. Nice. Get rid of it. Yeah. Everybody should speak Russian. That's what I think. Da, 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 comrade. I think it sounds cool, but I just hate, I just don't want to be a part of Russian society, you know? Like, can we all adopt one language, but not the cultures? (laughs) You know what I mean? Well, you you do not like vodka. (laughs) Anyways, that's it for uh, this week. We'll talk to you next week.